Right then, welcome or welcome back to the Midnight Podcast, where we have super in-depth, authentic, super transparent, open conversations with an array of different entrepreneurs from many different industries. I really want to make this a podcast known for going super in-depth on loads of topics that other podcasts are scared to speak about. I feel like most stuff out there these days is just super surface level, super vanilla, and doesn't really answer the questions that viewers and listeners want to hear. So that's what we're trying to do. Keep it real and keep it raw. I'm sure you'll get a huge amount of value listening or watching the pod wherever you are. And if you do, don't forget to subscribe, recommend it to a friend, leave a like and a comment and just let us know what you think. And yeah, really hope you enjoy this episode. Right then, fellas, another sponsor for the pod is probably something you're very familiar with if you're in the e-commerce space. It's certainly something I am. It's Wayflyer. Cashflow is the biggest killer of any fast-growing e-com brand, as I, probably more than most, know very fucking well. Go and watch episode one if you haven't already. Wayflyer is an e-commerce funding partner. Essentially, they can front you the cash for a month or so worth of sales. You need a minimum of six-month sales, a minimum of 20 grand a month, I believe, right now. If you've got a brand that you're super, super passionate about, you want to scale it quick, but cash is a problem, to invest in inventory, mainly marketing, overheads, team costs, whatever it is, you can get funded in as little as two to three days. It's literally that quick. No bullshit bank loans, no personal guarantees. I've worked with them personally in the past, took a six-figure sum off them. Plenty of guys I know in my network and people that have been on the pod and run massively successful brands have also used them as a funding partner because everyone knows at scale, cash flow is the biggest killer, even if you are profitable. If you think this could be a fit, potentially you could be a fit for them, then go click the link below. Speak to the guys at Wayflyer. It's a referral link, so we get a little fee. You save a little bit as well. Support the pod, support your business. Cash is king, especially in this market. Let's fucking go. Right then, back with another episode of the Midnight Pod. We're on a fucking roll. We have the second yank we've ever had. On is that is that a disrespectful term, by the way? I don't even yank. know what that means. All oh, right, it means American. Oh, well. I think it's like a, a tongue-in-cheek like English term for an American. But oh. second American on the pod. Um, I'll it. Noah Tucker, founder of Social Snowball, um, which is a SaaS, I guess Shopify app and yeah. SaaS that I recently started using. I actually uninstalled it, then reinstalled it. And then I found out that we had like mutual connections on Twitter, which is basically where everyone seems to fucking know each other these days. And you've just moved to London. Yes. From America. This is true. With your girlfriend. Yes. Shit's getting real. Getting well, you, real. you signed a lease for a year or what? Yeah, exactly. In yeah. Pimlico. Good choice, by the way. Near to me, Southwest. Um, so yeah, def- definitely gonna get, get, get to know each other over the next few few months, I suppose. And you yeah. join Gymbox as well. Yep. And came to get running as well so we are back on the wine by the way because yes. last night's episode was fucking gin and it tastes like shit oh so, god so cheers to that yeah. and shout out this Paul Weiber Paul is it Paul Weiber Paul Weiber from Jerry's by the way he gave me these cups pretty sick um, I guess first question as always we'll dive into a million different things it's basically who the fuck are you would you do what's your background how old are you now by the way 23 oh shit I thought you were older what are you I'm 26 oh nice I'm getting old Jack's yeah, yeah. 24 so yeah, I guess diving into where you came from, what you do, we can get into yeah. different things. Yeah, I mean, like from a business standpoint, um, my first ever like real venture was right out of high school. I got like super into the dropshipping world. Um, so I guess this is like 2017. Yeah. Um, I was working on a fishing boat at the time. The just golden like, age. Yeah, yeah, different times for sure. Um, I was working on a fishing boat at the time, just like trying to make money doing anything I could. And fishing was like my passion and it's kind of still is, but haven't done it in a while. Yeah. Um, 
And I just had some friends that were visiting and they had like these really simple dropshipping stores selling like bikinis and rompers, like super simple stuff. Yeah. And they weren't, they, I don't even think they knew what paid ads were. They were just posting on Instagram and DMing people and making a couple hundred bucks a day doing it. And they showed me like their, this is the first time I ever saw, saw like Shopify or the, the back end of the interface. And yeah. they were like showing me like 200 bucks a day just from like sitting you know, posting on Instagram all day. And I was like, if I can make 200 bucks a day, like I will for sure quit this fishing job and dive all into this. Yeah. Um, and I've always been like entrepreneurial, like selling stuff on eBay, like since I was like a little kid. So I was like, this is right up my alley. Um, so I built a store, um, you know, I was just posting on Instagram and made like a few grand, um, nothing crazy. Then I went to University of Miami um, and my, my freshman year during like the orientation, um, I met my now good friend, Will, who happened to also be in the e-commerce world. And he was telling me like, hey, I've done like, cause I was showing him that, like, look, like it's making 200 bucks today. Like, isn't this crazy? And he was like, dude, I've made like over a thousand dollars a day on my store. And I was like, how is that even possible? And yeah. he was running like these, I don't even know if these are a thing anymore. Maybe they are, but like these Twitter ads that you would basically pay these people who owned a bunch of count of accounts for impressions and they would like retweet your tweets until it hit a certain amount of impressions. Mm. So it was kind of like paid ads, but it was like through influencers, but a, yeah. a bit more organized than just like paying someone to post a retweet. Um, and I basically tried that for a new store and it popped off and I was like, okay, like, I'm on Did you discovered Facebook ads at this point? Oh, no. I didn't even know what that was. Oh, shit. I didn't even know what that was yet. Like, that didn't even cross my yeah, radar at this point. Like hustle spec. Yeah, so, you know, and ran up a store my freshman year, kind of, like, got into the world of dropshipping. Like, that was my first, like, real success. I think I did, like, a 30K month, maybe, like, 10K profit. But yeah. as a freshman in college, like, yeah. that was pretty crazy. Um, and then, I mean, that's kind of just the beginning of it. Like, after that, I, I just dove into the whole e-commerce world. I started, like, really getting into paid ads. Like, obviously, Facebook ads crossed my realm mm -hmm. at some point. Got really into that. Started building stores. Um, did that for about five years. Um, and building an affiliate program for these stores was, like, a, a pretty big um, part of any store I'd work with. So if, if I was, like, consulting for someone or building a store for myself, I'd always build, like, some sort of ambassador or affiliate program. Yeah. Um, and to make like, a, I mean, we could dive into this a lot more, but just to make a very long story short, I yeah, was yeah. very unhappy with the existing tools that existed um, in the Shopify app store to to build an affiliate program. So that's kind of what ended up sparking the idea for Social Snowball, which is obviously what I'm working on now. So did you finish university? No, I actually only went for that uh, first year and then um, I dropped out before second year. Yeah. Same with me, to be fair. I actually dropped out twice, but it feels like fucking ages ago now. I dropped out like five years ago nearly. That's mad. That is a long time, yeah. by. So the whole dropshipping thing, because I can relate to a lot of that, like 2017 was like golden age looking back. It's like proper nostalgic. What scale did, did you get that to? And like, um, I, it wasn't like honestly, while you were in uni, like afterwards, obviously five years, quite a long yeah, time. It wasn't anything too crazy. Um, like, I mean, I've definitely seen people do numbers way bigger than this. I'd say like, our biggest months and it was okay so it was me and and that guy will who i met my mm. freshman year we partnered up together and we were like a powerhouse dream team like we we complemented each other's skills and weaknesses perfectly yeah um so we ended up partnering up living together for like four years in miami um okay. and i think like the the biggest volume we did in revenue was like a 300k month yeah um so you know i mean obviously not bad but yeah still bigger than 99.9 yeah. of people yeah yeah but nothing like too parabolic and also like we were we were just drop shipping products so it wasn't anything we were like super passionate about which mm -hmm. is another huge reason that i ended up pivoting away from it because like what i'm building now i'm so like passionate about and i wake up so excited did you ever it. think about getting into like building a brand because that that was the progression for me and like most people i'm now good mates with 
Yeah, actually we did. And we, we, we pursued one pretty... SAS is like similar, but very different. Oh, it's a, not even similar. It's a whole different whole different world. But yeah, we did, we did actually um, want to build a brand where like, okay, like we obviously have good marketing skills. Like we should actually build something real with this. Um, so we were going to build a nootropic supplement brand. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, not as cool as this one though, but it was called Rubik. Um, and it was basically just like these, you know, pills you take and my... my uh, business partner will is like super into like health and nutrition so he like formulated it we found like a manufacturer in georgia that would like bottle it for us and and everything Mm -hmm. um and we you know we we placed an order for like a few thousand units we built like a website and some funnels and made some ads and we ran it for like a couple weeks and we were just like why are we like we don't even like what we're doing right now like we were just like we just thought we had to build a brand and then we like instead of instead of like having a reason to build a brand like finding something that actually was like solving a problem for us or like something that was like important to us to us like we were just like let's figure out a product to sell because Mm -hmm. we want to build a brand and i'm like now a really firm believer that like the most successful brands are created to scratch your own itch so like if you're really passionate about something or you have a problem that you want solved and you can create a product, whether it's a physical product or like a software product, it doesn't really make a difference. Mm. Those like, and then you build something that, and it works for you. And then you're like, wow, I want to share this with the world because I know other people are experiencing the same problems. Like that, in my opinion, is when the best brands are built. And I, yeah. and I took the, the complete opposite approach to that. I was like, I want to build a brand and I want to, you know, build something huge. Yeah. <laughs> what should I sell? okay, this seems like a cool product. I'm going to, you know, spend a ton of money formulating and building this, even though like, I don't even know if this is actually what the market wants or what I would even want. So it was kind of a a backwards approach at it. Yeah. I think most people do that, to be honest. Like probably that's kind of why, like when I moved away from the dropshipping space, like, I mean, I was doing like pretty mad numbers like three, four years ago, but then I was just like, this is like soul destroying because I came into like e-com originally had a brand as in like my own custom products blah blah blah. before i ever did drop shipping yeah and i was like fuck i need to make some like quick money when it was like relatively easy and then i went back to brand building but then even then like when i started my jewelry business midnight city which was successful i was never like that passionate about it it was more just like there's a clear opportunity here like jewelry is pretty at the time was like relatively low competition in the uk it was kind of easy to start because it's not like a that of a not very complicated product and then i was a bit more passionate about the whole neon thing but then with, with this I, I definitely feel like yeah it's the first time i've been like oh, i'm actually building something cool for me and like the review the early reviews and like you know on a custom formulation like really good and stuff so it's like oh, it actually works people resonate with why i made it and like the problems it solves etc etc so right and and that's like the it best makes, motivation it makes the process it like makes more it enjoyable anyway yeah it makes it more fun i'm like so like, i genuinely care yeah exactly exactly and i want to put my name to it do you know what i mean like my actual instagram and my i saw that yeah. my email is on the packaging for the first eight thousand units I'm, I'm going to take it off after that because it's just going to get too much yeah that but, might be a bit messy but, but no like, i mean most people wouldn't do that because just don't give a fuck Totally, totally, yeah. And I mean, when you're building something that you're genuinely excited about and you know it's like really providing value to the world, it's like so exciting to see that actually come to life. And like, I'm like exactly what you're talking about with like the reviews, getting that feedback and being like, wow, people are legitimately enjoying something that I created. That's the ultimate of all this That's what's like, that's what really motivates me at least. Like, like that's like, that's what it's all like for. Yeah, exactly. Because like, you can make money and you have to do that. And that's a good thing, but 
it's not going to be as fulfilling if you don't actually give a fuck. Yeah. And I think most people take probably too long to realize that. I think you so have you to. do both at the same time. I think at least for me, like the, the only way I was able to learn that I didn't want to chase money was by chasing money. Yeah. I don't think, yeah, I mean, maybe not everyone's like deep. me, but like, yeah, mm-hmm. like if you're the same case, like it's hard. Everyone can tell you don't chase money. It won't fulfill you. It won't make you happy, whatever. I feel like you, re- that's like one of the few lessons in life that like you can't comprehend without experiencing Mm -hmm. and like no matter how many times someone stands on stage at like some convention and says that like if the people in the audience haven't experienced it firsthand i don't really think i don't even think it's fair to give it as advice anymore because i think like the advice should be like if you're really money motivated which maybe not everyone is but if you are which is not a bad thing chase it and make it and then realize that that's not what you wanted and then you know adjust accordingly but it's hard to skip that step that's so true yeah I, I, this is actually quite philosophical for like 10 minutes in normally we save this to like an hour <laughs> i remember actually just dis- a distinct moment like two and a half years ago when i was driving my green audi r8 and i was like 23 or 4 at the time and i just pulled over and wrote a note in my phone like chase fulfilling things n- not material things because i was like wait a minute why do I, why do i get no pleasure from driving this thing anymore even though it's like sick but yeah it's funny that's like a really easy to understand example of kind of what you're saying yeah. and, and I completely fucking agree um, quick one fellas you probably heard a few months ago I dropped an e-com course a very fucking guru of me but it's not that I promise you zero to one how to start a brand from scratch with no budget some budget a bit of budget take your idea from a bedroom to reality to potentially seven eight figures in sales like I've done a few times based on my seven years of experience in the trenches and my current experience building my current brand space goods it's no bullshit no frills we've had like 75 people go through so far not a single person has asked for a refund plenty of people have actually built some seriously impressive shit covers every aspect of the business not just the front end stuff like most gurus on YouTube and Twitter are talking about not just product market and all that shit but the real shit the logistics the back end the supply chain the customer service the finances as well this covers the whole spectrum every part 12 hours of video if you're interested in scaling a brand zero to one actually turning our idea finally into a reality then click the link below go check out learn real commerce course and let me know what you think I'd be glad to have you in there let's fucking go Um, just going back briefly because I like to try and like fucking figure out like a timeline in my head so the whole f- fishing boat thing yeah what's the crap with that was that like sea trawlers or what I used to watch um, Deadliest Catch I'm thinking yeah. of that no I wish that would have been way more cool it was it, it, was, like it was like no it was a it was like a party boat so basically how it worked is like people could just I don't know if they I guess they might have these in the UK honestly way too new here to even know but people just yeah. pay to go Not fishing and like it's a very like d- done for you service so you don't need to bring a pole or bait or like anything that you would need to bring fishing like we obviously provide the boat which is a big boat like 80 feet or something like a very big boat Mm. um we provide you the tackle the bait we cut it for you it's like we'll put the bait on your hooks we'll help you catch reel in the fish if you need it we'll net them the the fish out of the water for you and like obviously fillet the fish and give you it to eat after so it's like a very it's like fishing but like it's almost like glamping, like yeah. for camping, you know? Like, so it was like a tourist thing. Yeah, you yeah. Weren't, you weren't out like in minus two. Nah, in fucking, nah that would be like, cooler though. I wish I, I wish, pod. I honestly should have just gone with that and that would have been cooler for the podcast. But yeah, no, it was, it was just like that. So I was the one like cutting the, the lines and like cutting the bait and baiting the hooks and like helping people reel in the fish. I was like the first, the first mate on the boat. Was, was, it, was that just like a, a school job or what? Was that just like a full-time thing? No, it wasn't full-time. I mean, yeah, I was still in high school at the time. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I was right. um, working. I, I started working four days a week. I thought it was some dramatic story where like 
you were fucking homeless and you were fishing and then oh, you discovered e-com you have while, such, while on the I sea. Would, I should have gone with that too. That would have been better, but nah. Much more romantic story. It was, so it was actually over summer vacation. So I was able to work, I would work four days a week and then it was 13 hours shifts though. So like really, really long shifts in the sun, like physical work, like sweating, like nasty. Um, it would be like from 5 a.m. I'd have to get to the dock and I would leave at like 6 p.m. and just be like, a zombie and then I, I reduced it to two days a week because I literally was like not able to function during the, my days off because of how tired I was and it was I was just like why am I even doing this and then once I discovered drop shipping I was like not doing this anymore yeah fuck that so when did you stop drop shipping and then start thinking about SAS and um, then I guess going into that story yeah I guess it was probably like what two and a half three years ago now something like that um I mean, I just, like, one, I was never enjoying dropshipping. It was just, it's a constant uphill battle. Like, when something's an uphill battle, it's a red flag that you're not doing something great. So it's, you know, the payment processor is getting shut down. It's the yeah. Facebook, like, flagging your account or whatever they would do. Like, it was just, it was just a lot of that. And it's just, like, I wasn't even liking what I was doing. I wasn't passionate about it. That kept happening. And eventually, I think, like, one time the payment processor that I was using um, was, like, locking our money or whatever. And I was like, okay this is the final straw. I am no longer doing this ever again. And I just stuck to it. Cause I always would tell myself that, but it was like, it is pretty hard. Like when you're making like life-changing money and it's hard to like turn that off, but, when, it was, but when it's turned off for you and then you have an option to do it again or not, that was like, that's like when I was like, okay, I'm drawing the line now. I'm not drop shipping again. Like I'm done with this. Mm. Um, and I mean, we like, we even like, we're doing things by the book at that, like as by the book as possible by that point, I, we weren't even drop shipping actually at that point. We literally like, would send six figure wires to China, bulk ordering our product to a warehouse in Utah. And like, we would have two custom packaging, two day shipping across the US. Mm. It wasn't like we, we did what we could to like improve the customer experience so that all the like Facebook and payment processing yeah. things wouldn't keep happening. But f somehow it did one last time. And I was just like, and we were almost out of our inventory. It's not like we had like hundreds of thousands sitting in, in a warehouse. We were like pretty much out at that point. We had to place a new order soon. And I was like, this is a sign. Like I'm not doing this anymore. Like I wasn't happy with it you know, all the reasons I explained before and like yeah. that, the payment processor shutting it down. I was like, okay, it, it's over now. And, um, while like before this, I was already starting to, I was like in the idea phase of social snowball. Mm. Um, it was actually me and a business partner originally, and it ended up not working out with him and I had to buy him out, which is like a, a whole other story before we even launched. Like it was a disaster and I could definitely dive into that. But, um, yeah, so I was already working on another project that I was genuinely excited about Plus the payment processor shut us down. Plus I wasn't even enjoying e-commerce anymore. I was like, okay, this is a sign. Drop shipping is over. I'm going yeah. full in on building this product and making it the best thing I possibly can and learning from my mistakes from the pre previous businesses I was doing. And the whole idea came from, you just couldn't find a solution for you previously. More or less, yeah. So basically I was, so even that, that first store I told you about where I was like selling bikinis and rompers, just like mm. posting on Instagram. I like the entire store was built around an affiliate, well, like an ambassador program, but essentially like yeah. an affiliate program where, and I was just doing everything manual. So I would literally um, DM people on Instagram that were like following similar accounts. And I'd be like, hey, we'd love to have you as an ambassador. Um, and you know, obviously we'd get them to sign up and then I'd go into Shopify manually and make them a, a referral code for them to share with their friends. And I'd make them, you know, another uh, code for them to purchase themselves. And it was just like, horribly time consuming obviously there were apps that could have made that easier i just didn't know about them at the time yeah um so then obviously like once i start started getting deeper in it i started using those apps um and you know i mean they they obviously do things like they're not like useless but 
they were very um, well the interface like specifically the customer facing interface of what your ambassadors slash affiliates are going to be seeing was very outdated mm. so like it didn't really match with the branding of any site um, the functionality that I wanted which is like just a lot of automation and more configurability and customization, like very simple stuff, um, just didn't exist in any of the tools that I wanted, at least the non-enterprise ones. I know there's some like thousands of dollars a month one, but that wasn't like in the in the picture for me. Yeah. Um, and things were very non-automated and things that should, should have been automated in my opinion, that would actually have been very easy to automate, like not like some, anything crazy, they just weren't automated. So there was just so many manual processes that just didn't, it just seemed outdated. Like that's, that's like the, the word that I, that I always go to. Like when yeah. I describe the, the whole experience with those tools, like they just felt very outdated and nobody was updating them. And there was like a lot of specific reasons for it, but like that was the general vibe was just like outdated. Mm. So I still, I kind of, I mean, I had to build these affiliate programs cause they were crushing. So I would use those tools and I would like, I would even actually set up my own, like, like I, you know, Zapier, obviously like yeah. the automation tool. So like, I would like connect that to Klaviyo and connect it to Shopify and like be able to have some level of automation, um, on top of using the tools and even as a standalone. So almost like that, you could almost argue that that's like social snowballs, very, very origin. I didn't even have yeah, the idea yeah. for it at the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, after so much time, like trying to build something that didn't exist. I was like, and also obviously throughout this entire experience, I built like a really solid network of e-commerce founders um, and operators. And I would talk to them obviously all the time. And it was like a very, it was very agreed upon that the affiliate tools in the Shopify ecosystem were lacking and people were pretty actively looking for something better. So mm. after like, it was a super like big issue for me. Plus I like got the, I, or I, I got the, concept that the problem was validated from all these other founders yeah. I was like okay that was like the light bulb moment I was like okay now like there's definitely some there's definitely something that should be built here and like I'm already not loving what I'm doing with e-commerce like maybe I'll build something so when was that when you went cold turkey and like, and, and how long was it between that and actually launching oh my god products? so going cold turkey I mean I went cold, cold turkey on e-com. Like, it's once like a that, drug dropshipping. Yeah, it's just crazy. All the dropshippers watching this shit thinking they're fucking Bill Gates. Yeah. Man, you got a realization coming. It's not even a real business. It's yeah. such a, like, I mean, it is what it is. Like, I obviously am guilty of doing it and it's, it's, it's a good stepping stone into other yeah, things. But um, to answer your question, I, I went cold turkey on e-com the day that that payment processor shut down. I was like, okay, this is the final straw. I went full in onto social snowball, um, Pretty much right after, because I mean, I like I had a, a, a nice amount of cash saved up, nothing crazy, but enough to at least get Social Snowball off the ground, like build out the yeah. product. So, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing when I was launching it. Like, I mean, even now I could argue I have no idea what I'm doing, but the amount. Are you, are you a coder? Software no, developer? Not, not at all. Not so all. that's like a key yeah. fact. I'm extremely non-technical. My yeah. only background up to that point professionally, professionally was e-commerce marketing, mm. um, which, you know, I was obviously pretty good at, but that doesn't really translate well into building a software product, which I thought it was going to be, but it, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I didn't know even what a technical co-founder was at the time. I didn't know that that's yeah, how I've most that startups, like that's like what a proper startup has is like yeah, a yeah. marketing co-founder and a technical co-founder. This is very, very basic standard stuff yeah. that I just had never, ever um, heard about. So, you know, I was like, okay, I need, a, I need someone to build this for me. What am I going to do? So I found an agency and they said they would do like a done for you. Um, they would build like the website, the all the UI, UX and the actual like functioning app. Um, and I, you know, I flew to LA to meet up with them. I like gave them 
a very very detailed description it's called like user stories of like what how the app would function like down to every little detail like 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 what a user story is it's like detailed to the point like you click this button this pop pops up saying this yeah. when that happens this is generated in shopify and this email is sent to that you know like every little detail yeah um pages and pages that i wrote out All and the shit that i couldn't understand when i was in this in the slack group saying how do i change the fucking currency yeah yeah um no, i've just been stupid yeah yeah no it was, it's that's my fault for not making it more clear but um so yeah wrote out all those briefs gave it to them and then they were like okay we we can build an mvp meaning min- minimum viable product yeah um in three months and i was like oh wonderful so you know i paid them they started building did you have a budget by the way when you started this I didn't have a budget in mind. I mean, I was like, I'm so passionate about this and like I, this, I'm so excited to build this that like I, what I would be down to delete all of my savings to yeah. build it. And I did like, yeah. I fully did like yeah, literally one thing I hear about SaaS. We had a guy called Alex who sold his SaaS business to Adobe for massive money Oh wow. on like episode 23. And the one thing he told me on and off camera was that it's fucking expensive to build a SaaS. It is. It is. And the agency like way more than starting an e-com brand. Oh yeah, I mean, you can start an e-com brand for nothing and it, yeah. like so the agency also quoted me a pretty low amount. It was uh, 25k for everything, which yeah. is like that should have been a red flag, but again, had no idea what I was doing. Um mm. so like yeah, how would I have known? Seem cheap, to be fair. So they told me 3 months to build an MVP that would be like ready enough for the App Store. Obviously, there's always going to be like little improvements and stuff. So I was like, great. 3 months turned into legitimately 15 months. 15 out. months of complete like just just nothing was organized with them like it, it was just a disaster they i mean they had some at the end of the 15 months i actually ended up cutting the contract with them it wasn't even done yet what did they say after three months given there was another 12. they would i mean you know how it goes when you're working with someone that's like it's not going well like they're they're always they always have like a, oh just one more month oh you know this engineer like they, there's always some excuse like it wasn't they were they i don't think they were bullshitting me bullshitting me but they were definitely just like making excuses yeah. and like whether they were valid excuses or not, it doesn't matter. Like they told me three months. It's not like it took five, like 15 <laughs> and it still had so many bugs that I couldn't submit it to the Shopify app store. So 15 months went by. I was like, I'm just done with this. And this I, is the only thing you work on. Yeah. 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 Fucking so I ended so the contract with them. I, I still paid them the full amount because like they, I mean, they lost money for sure. Like there's no, like the amount of time they had to put into it. But they just, incompetent rather than like I think so. intentionally bad yes 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 that's exactly what it was yeah, so no. yeah after the 15 months i hired a very very senior freelancer um used to be like a senior engineer at yahoo like this guy knew what he was doing very comfortable with like the tech stack like the yeah. uh, coding language we were using um and i like kind of filled him in on the scenario he was super expensive too but i was like i'm not going cheap anymore like i need someone to actually do this right he came in within like legitimately two weeks, fixed every single bug, like cleaned everything up, fixed a ton of things that were broken that I didn't even know were broken. Like that would have probably broken once we had a bunch yeah. of users. Like really, this guy knew what he was doing. He made, and and within two weeks of me hiring him, we had the app approved on the Shopify app store, like live. How expensive was it? A hundred an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Because honestly, tech stuff, like developer stuff, it's, it's probably like the one thing the one skill area in life that I genuinely look and I think I would have, I just don't even know. If I was to try and do this yeah. myself, I just don't have a fucking clue. I mean, you just have to learn it. Like yeah, there's these I like three so. month coding boot camps you could go, anyone could go and they like, you know what to do. Like you'd have a base that you could at least be like, like a freelancer. I just feel like if I did that, it just, my brain wouldn't click with that. It's, it's just not. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not for me either. Like I w- I'm not going to even try to learn it. Like They're some people like, are like fucking wizards that do, even just like, I can do like basic Shopify liquid edits or whatever, but. 
It's yeah. just a different brain. Like I don't want yeah. to learn it because I'm good at other things and I'm I'd rather have other people that are great at that and love it do it. So it's like yeah. I'm not trying to learn it. Um but yeah, that's that's at least how we got, you know, the very very bare minimum first product live in the shop by after was that And whole when was time. that? This was December 2019. Oh, so about two and a half years ago. One and a half. 2019 or 2020? Oh, maybe 2020 then. That's, that's, yeah, because 2019 oh, is wow. two and a half years now. Yeah, yeah. Time so yeah, fine. so 2020 then, yeah. So one and a half years. Yeah, 2020, you're right. Yeah. And what was the plan to... I guess, like, did you have a plan in terms of this is, like, the business model from the start? Or did that come about after you built it? No, the business, like pricing, acquiring customers, all that sort of shit. The business model, I definitely was something as a non-technical brain, I was very focused on like yeah. from the very beginning. Um, we've iterated the pricing actually quite a bit since we launched, um, just from trial and error, learning more about our ICP. Mm. Um, it just made, you know, makes a lot of sense and just from getting feedback overall. But the original pricing model, I believe was t- three different tiers. Each tier would take a flat fee just to use the app, plus a percentage of revenue that was generated through the app. So like if someone, if like Social Snowball, and okay, just because I haven't even said what Social Snowball does, I feel like I should probably just like cover that. It's basically just an affiliate marketing app. So like, you know, any store that's selling, like, well, we're a Shopify app. So any store that's selling on Shopify can integrate with Social Snowball and it'll let you build, scale, and automate an affiliate program for your online store. What's different about Social Snowball from other affiliate apps is most affiliate apps are one, you know, outdated interface, very non-automated, all that stuff, but they're also very focused on publishers and influencers. So like an affiliate program traditionally is like very much focused towards like big influencers, publishers, that kind of thing. Um, Social Snowball takes that affiliate model and democratizes it down to the consumer level. So we're very focused on like converting your customers and owned audiences into affiliates rather than just like the big, um, you know, affiliates or uh, publishers and influencers. So it takes the affiliate model and just democratizes it for everyone to, you know, make it simple. Yeah, because the only one I'd use or tried to use in the past is one called Refersion. Oh yeah. Are they big? Oh, I mean, so Refersion is interesting. That's probably the only one I can actually think of yeah. off my head. Yeah. So oh, they're, they're the biggest. They were the biggest, at least. I mean, and, and they mean, might still be the even biggest. Even that app, like I, I said, I tried to use it in the past because like I used it, but never really, like the interface was shit. Yeah. That's, that's what they're known Everything for. I mean, shit. I don't want to come here and talk shit about a competitor, <laughs> but I mean, it's definitely no secret that Refersion's interface is incredibly poor. Um, that's, you know, one thing I'll say is that are they the market leader then? So I mean, the think? thing is like they they've been around for a while. I think it was like 2010 since they launched. They haven't really updated the product much since. Um, yeah. And also, they got acquired like five years ago. And the business that acquired them, Assembly, I don't think they've really put much focus onto improving the product. So, I mean, you know, again, I'm not here to talk shit about a competitor, yeah. but I will say a huge reason that Social Snowball exists was because of my frustration with Refersion. Yeah, that's usually the best way, I think, to build anything. Kind of like you were saying before, like there's a reason to it. There's a personal reason. Yeah. So like business model wise, right? Did did you plan from the start for the company to like be profitable? Because I, I mean, I'm speaking very ignorant ignorantly here about SaaS. Like I hear from other people that like you know SaaS is only profitable when you get acquired and becomes economies of scale with a bigger business, etc. Like, well, I mean, how does that what was the plan from the start? Was it obviously spend spend a bunch of money making it once it's made, almost treat it like like an econ brand? Is it like, you know, focus on a certain ROAS that breaks even and beyond? Because that's, that's obviously how I'm approaching this. Yeah. Like, 
I'm just interested how, how the mindset, having done econ before as yeah. well, well it, how it, did it compare? It's funny that you say it like that, like find a good ROAS, because that is so exactly where my brain was like a year and a half ago when we first officially mm. launched. Like I was like, oh, we have an app. People are going to download it and pay a monthly subscription. Yeah. And like if I could figure out like a profitable way to run ads, I was basically just thinking we'll growth market our way to the top. Like we'll just growth market like crazy and we'll run ads and we'll, you know, partner with influencers and all this stuff and we will just infinitely acquire users and I was like I have a leg up because I already know every influencer in the space they'll you know yeah. do a post for me which they did and that actually did help a lot to be fair um it's probably how I had originally out of it to be fair yeah but it yeah 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 maybe that is um but I I thought that was the end of it and I also didn't realize like I, th- I also thought like after we launched this initial you know MVP the the minimum viable product I was like mm. all, all I need is like one part-time engineer to like fix bugs if they come up like the app is going to be good and like wow like I couldn't have been more wrong which is okay like it's it's been like an, an incredible learning experience and obviously we've pivoted that mindset significantly but I mean we're we, we learned quick that the small dropshipping stores are not really our best customer. Um, I mean, we definitely have some dropshipping customers that crush with us. I mean, the ones that are doing high volume, like the the level of automation that Social Snowball brings to an affiliate program, it definitely like will crush. But mm. we learned that we provide more value to the the bigger brands, and we also make more money off of the bigger brands. So there's no reason that we wouldn't focus all of our marketing and sales initiatives and even product initiatives, especially product initiatives actually towards those bigger brands. So rather than just, you know, trying to just run ads and make cool creatives and get customers kind of like how the game was, at least for me, um, in e-com, yeah. we, you know, t- had that approach for a little while. And then we realized that the stores that were signing up were a lot of like really small drop shipping stores. They weren't sticking around. They would close down. Like, I mean, it was just drop, sh- like small drop shipping stores. So. Shut down just like you. Yeah. There you go. There you I go. I did in the past. There you go. Exactly. So we started, you know, working with some bigger brands. And as we tried moving up market, at least it wasn't even successful the first time. Um, you know, we spoke to a lot of really big brands and we learned that there's a lot on the product side, like functionality in the app that we needed if we wanted to ever land these clients. So even though we had a few mm. um, and those few were making us a ton of money and we were providing a ton of value to them and it was like amazing relationship. Um, we realized that if we wanted to get more like that, there's a lot that has to be built. So even though we were, we were building features for the first, you know, I'm talking about like the first four months we were building features. It's not like we neglected the product, but we were like very marketing focused. And once I kind of realized that that's not what's going to scale this business and that we need to make the app have a ton, like we need to increase the functionality, improve the UI UX. Like there's just so much that needed to be done on the product side. If we wanted to acquire the users that we provide value to and we make more money off of. Mm -hmm. So we, once I realized that we completely stopped spending on marketing, like zero, um, and we hired another engineer and we just have been to the, to this day. I mean, this is like over, I guess over a year ago now. Wow. Um, we've been like extremely product focused. So we are just building, building, building. And I mean, we've still been growing, um, in revenue more so than user count because the users that we acquire now are a lot bigger. So like acquiring one yeah. is the equivalent of acquiring like 80 of the users we used to be getting. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've just been building, building, building and just focused a lot more on our brand and, you know, the product and partnerships. And we've do yeah, I mean, we've been doing some initiatives to grow like partnerships and 
content marketing and, and stuff like that. And like just building a brand on social media has been huge um, for us too, especially Twitter. But we're, we're not in the same mindset that we used to be where we're just like, I'm gonna build an app, like just like I build a product, like a physical yeah. product and just, and maybe that was the wrong approach of the product too, but that's at least what I, what I was so thinking as a dropshipper. So have you ever run any but traditional paid media? We have, yeah, we did for a while. We did for uh, like, we spent like quite a bit on Facebook ads. And did, did, does that work for SaaS? I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a big statement. Yes, it works for SaaS. Um, For social snowball specifically, it, it's not that it won't work because we probably will do paid ads again at some point, but it wasn't, it wasn't a very reliable, we would do it with a different strategy. Like we were kind of just thinking like we need every single Shopify store in the world to install. Mm. So we were just like running ads, targeting like anyone with a store. Um, And, and what we learned is just like the merchants we were acquiring were just not high quality. They would, you know, churn, they would, the store would close down. They were just like small dropshipping stores. But I mean, growth marketing and paid ads does work for SaaS. It just, you yeah. know, we learned through trial and error the ideal client for Social Snowball and then had to adjust our efforts accordingly. So how long does the average customer stay now? Is these like too high value information? No, I mean, it, it, it's... it's. But, I mean, like, say... All, all the small dropshipping stores that you were maybe initially going for compared to like, I guess like brand, legitimate brands. Now. Yeah. Well, I mean, is, it's, is it's there a big co- difference. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's really cool because like, I mean the dropshipping stores, which I mean, obviously, you know, we'd love to have their business still and that we, we do really crush it for a lot of, especially like the bigger ones. But, um, you know, like it's a lot of dropshipping stores are like just kind of catching trends. So they would come and go. Yeah. Um, so those wouldn't stay on that long, often because they would close down, like not even from uninstalling, which is crazy. Like they would legitimately close down the store. Um, but what's really cool, I mean, the bigger brands to talk about, like the LTV of them, they mm. like they haven't uninstalled. Like obviously some have, but like most of the big brands that we've acquired, we do such a good job keeping them now. And I mean, I could I could definitely go in detail with like the initiatives we've taken to like, um, reduce churn and like increase retention with these big users. Slight groove that messages people oh, yeah. like when they uninstall. Oh yeah. Just like I did, so I couldn't figure out how to use it. But um, then I reinstalled, by the way. Go and install it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, like the big, I mean, we've only been around for a year and a half. So like yeah, most of the big users we've acquired have been around since they've installed and have not uninstalled. Obviously some have because, you know, there's always like unpredictable things. But I mean, the the LTV of these bigger stores that we're acquiring is you know so far infinite so we're that's why we're you know doubling down on our efforts to acquire more of them yeah because ltv is a thing i spoke about on, on probably recorded last night but also just something i'm with it being a subscription product for the first time at there least first go. time for me I'm, yeah i'm trying to fucking it's all about the ltv really but that will present challenges when scaling in terms of like capital and cash potentially because obviously like you know you say cpa is 30 quid well it's 30 quid right now by the way but it, say it gets to 100 quid because you're spending 20 grand a day on ads you know in a year's time whatever and monthly fee is 40 quid f- for my product you know say someone stays 10 months 400 quid ltv potentially then it's like a four to one but if they're only paying you if you're only getting 40 quid of them in the first month mm-hmm. then you have a cash problem if you're scaling quickly absolutely so it, is that been, because that's the the SaaS, like things I hear about. I mean, I'm definitely not in SaaS, but like people that are in that told me yeah. that that's why you go down like the whole raising money route. Like SaaS uh-huh. often attracts like venture capital, private equity, all this sort of shit. 
Have yeah, you, yeah. Have you done that? Are you entirely self-funded? Is, is that something you've thought about? So, yeah, we, we've... Well, to talk about what you first said, like, yeah, like, that is a, a huge thing. Like, you need to... I mean, if you're a not venture-backed company, mm. if you're fully bootstrapping, I'd say, like, you need, a pay, you need to be able to make the cash back for an acquisition cost in, like, three months or, like, you're going to run out of cash. So, let's say, like, the three-month value of a subscription you're acquiring is, like, let's just say, like... $100 and if you're spending $100 to acquire a customer like that's like the peak yeah. assuming you haven't raised I mean these big SaaS companies that raise a ton like they're making it back in two years no problem like you see attentive giving out airpods like it's can- candy on yeah. Halloween to every demo call they take because they know their numbers and they know what they're going to pay for an acquisition including those airpod costs and they can make that money back because attentive is, is a great product like they're going to make yeah. the money back in two years but they're so unbelievably funded that it doesn't matter if they make it back in two years. So, you know, they're, they're doing, they're doing it right, honestly. Um, so to answer your other question, um, we did do a very small, I guess you could call it like a pre-seed or angel round. Yeah. Um, it was actually fully done or almost fully done from merchants who were using social snowball. Um, a lot that switched from, you know, other legacy platforms. Uh, they liked the product so much they wanted to become more involved and then we it was all angels that did the round obviously no uh no venture funding yeah so yeah, yes that's, that's what i did for this yeah there you go i raised a bit of money and so on and then do you like are you like cash are you, are you profitable like day to day like or is it like is it a case of you've got a runway and if you want to scale you need to raise again etc cetera, etc cetera? because again alex who sold content cow he's one of my investors now he spoke a lot about this. Like, that was the the scariest thing about running a SaaS. I mean, his was very different to yours. Um, I think it was cheaper for a start, but they were always looking to raise more money, raise more money, which when you've got a good product that's growing is definitely doable, but it was like required for them. Is, is that like... Well, same for you. Or? What you're describing is the venture treadmill. So once you once you start the venture I've treadmill, not had that time, but that makes sense. Once you start the venture treadmill, you can't ever get off of it because think of it like this: like right now, we you know we have uh, three full time at Social Snowball, like a few contractors that help with like mm. marketing stuff, but three full time, and we're hiring um, another right now, and. You know, yeah, we're profitable, but we're strategically reinvesting. We're being as not profitable as possible. You know, like we make our MRR increases and then we make another higher. Like we're trying to reinvest everything we can into growth. Um, Let's say, let's say, you know, hypothetically, we were to raise a seed amount, a seed round, $4 million. Okay, great. What am I going to do with that money? I'm going to go deploy it, right? So I'm going to hire a director of partnerships. I'm going to hire a sales team. I'm going to hire four, you know, five five more engineers, a uh, product owner, like all these essential roles to, you know, take it to the next level. That's what you're supposed mm. to do with the capital raise. But then let's say, you know, the economy crashes as it like might be right now, like who even knows? Yeah. Um, and then you can't raise another round. Well, I don't have the same business that I did before that round. Right now, like we could continue coasting and we will never, there's no treadmill we're on. There's no, um, you know, running out of runway. Like we are bootstrapping essentially, even though we did do that like incredibly small um, angel round, we're, we're bootstrapping. Yeah. And we will continue to bootstrap. And, you know, if we make more money, you know, as MR continues to increase, we'll make more hires. And it's a very su- sustainable way of running a business. But to go back to the hypoth- hypothetical situation, we raise a bunch of venture casts, make all those hires. Now we're spending, you know, 150K a month. Let's say the economy crashes and we can't raise another round or for whatever reason, our uh, MRR doesn't increase to the mm. target that we told investors we would hit and they don't want to participate in our series A. 
So what am I going to do? I have to, the business at that point would Very actually tank. for 23. It would actually tank. Yeah. It would legitimately tank. Run out of money. Yeah. So like, and you can't, you know, it's easy to say, oh, you know, I could just fire the new hires I made and then go back to bootstrapping. Once you get on the venture treadmill, it's not easy to do that. Like your yeah. business changes when you make hires that are like high level thinkers that are building things on their own. You can't just run that business again without those people. So it's really, if you're going on the venture treadmill, you're staying on it. And you know, the, the ultimate goal is either an exit or IPO. Um, if you bootstrap, you know, you could kind of just chill and continue growing. And if you have a bad month, like it's not, you know, gonna, it's not the end of the world. Like it's just, it's just, a, it's just, you know, two different ways to build a business, but one of them puts you on a treadmill. The other doesn't, not to saying that raising venture is bad. It's actually something I'm still considering very much, but it's, it's just two very different ways of growing a business. Yeah. Interesting. Right then, fellas, quick one. First official sponsor for the Midnight Pod, Triple Whale. If you want to track your econ metrics properly, all your KPIs, all your dashboards, all your blended ROAS, all that good shit in an easy to understand dashboard, as well as proper post iOS 14 pixel tracking. Know your real numbers, because I didn't in the past and I got it very wrong. Know where to spend more money, know where to spend less money, all the shit that's going to drive your brand forward. It's what I use every day in my new brands, in the past brands. It's what all the guys on the pod running super successful businesses use as well. And it's what you should be using. TripleWhale.com. Go click the link below, check it out, and use my link. Support the fucking pod. Let's go, boys. Right, usual wine top-up break. Um, that all makes sense, and venture treadmill is definitely going to be a term that we're going to fucking use in, <laughs> in the fight going forward. <laughs> Just coming to, like, the day-to-day, you mentioned a few times, like, what does the team specifically look like? And I touched yeah. on it briefly. And, and, and I guess beyond that, like, how is it structured? Obviously, you've just moved from overseas to London, so I'm assuming it's fully remote. It's always been remote, yeah. Yeah. So how does that look, like, the full picture of the business? Yeah, so everyone else? it's myself working, like, six full-time jobs. Yeah. It's, um, we have a full-time customer success guy. So he does, like, everything customer-facing. I mean, he, he does so is much. Is that the guy in the Slack group? Yeah, 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 let's do us, do us. Yeah, right, he's cool. a gem, unbelievable. Like, a, like he's just super great. He has a ton of other, he's actually worked for a lot of other Shopify apps, so he was like a really important hire for us. Um, brought a, a lot of knowledge to the table. Yeah. Um, then we have one full-time engineer. Um, he lives in Texas, really, really smart kid. Um, you know, pretty young guy, but you know, one of those sleepers that's like still in college. Yeah. Um, really, really smart. We're hiring our second engineer right now, like actively interviewing, like probably within the next two weeks, we'll have that higher lined or like a uh, hired. Mm. Um, and then besides that, I mean, it's everyone else is part-time or a contractor. So we have like a head of content who does all of our blogs, all of our guest posting, all of our co-marketing partnerships. He aligns the partnerships. He manages like our a partner directory and like everything partnerships and content related. Um, and then just, you know, a couple other freelancers to do like design work, to do um, like some business development work as well. And, and just like little tasks like that, social media management and stuff like that. So like the whole developer stuff, like having like, is that a big requirement to like maintain stuff? Or is that like building new features? Oh my and God, shit? it's so much of both. It's so much of both. I mean, I would say like my main job which is not even what I want. Uh, maybe I, I, I kind of like doing it, but I'm like a product manager. Like that is like mm. what I do. I am, you know, di- I am prioritizing new features to build. I am prioritizing bugs to fix. I am 
speaking with you know our customer success guy i'm speaking with some customers directly i'm learning what people really want what features matter most i am you know managing making sure that things are getting built on time i'm making sure that things are getting tested before they're released obviously you know we have like a whole process for for all this stuff so that's like what i spend a ton of time doing and besides that i'm just doing you know anything that's administrative a lot of things a lot of tasks that maybe i shouldn't be, be doing still fall through the cracks and like nobody else picks them up so i'm still doing like yeah. random little things it in just, the trenches yeah it just happens it just happens um and obviously you know like marketing sales i might have already said that but yeah that that's like what, what i at least do mostly yeah because i was gonna say next like what does your day-to-day look like because uh, that's the question i get all the time yeah and i'm never sure how to answer but i imagine it's similar but different in SaaS and I guess how, how has that changed as well since since the vet, the pre-launch days when it was like pure oh, trenches God. so much I mean it's mostly communication like I'm di- well okay so there's there's a couple of things one I'm still our only sales rep so I take all those calls myself so oh, yeah. I, I limit those calls to only a few days a week so I could have some days to just like do deep work um, but like some days are literally like back-to-back demo and sales calls non-stop um, and then like I'm doing a ton of communication. So even though the team is small, like maybe it's like, what is it, a total of seven, including part-time. Mm. Um, there is just a lot of communication that's happening between me and them. Like there's calls, um, you know, check-ins and stand-ups and just like a lot, a lot that's going on. And um, so, it, yeah, I would say like between communicate and then like I do do like a lot of social media stuff. So like I am like managing the Twitter and scheduling posts and I mean, Twitter has been huge for us. So like we've been putting yeah. a lot more focus in, into that recently. Um, and then I'm, and then I'm a product manager. So like, I'm, you know, I'm a QA engineer, I'm testing new feature releases. I'm writing very detailed user stories of what needs to be built. I'm uh, writing feedback on what needs to be changed when a new feature is built. I'm, um, you know, making sure bugs that are affecting our bigger merchants are getting fixed before bugs that are, you know, maybe affecting only one or two smaller ones. Like it's being a product manager in itself is probably a full-time job. That's what I spend a lot of time doing and, and a QA engineer quality assurance for people who don't know what that means. Is that like checking that shit's working? It's testing. It's testing. And we have like automated tests, like browser tests and like uh, unit testing um, in the code as well. But it's basically just like, you know, if a new feature is built, just to simplify it, a new feature is built, we release it to a staging environment, which is just like a test environment. Um, you know, we have to test that feature extremely, like the, a whole procedure for testing the feature, then test every other functionality of the app to make sure the feature didn't break any other part of the app, then test yeah. it with a ton of users because it's different if there's one user, if there's like, you know, or, or affiliates, like if there's like 10,000 affiliates in the account, we have to do all that. And then, you know, it gets released to production, which is like the actual environment that like, you know, space goods would, if you log in, like that's what you would see. Yeah. It has to get tested again there and the whole app has to get tested. So it's, it, I mean, I, I'm not sitting there doing every test myself. I, I have, you know, team members to, to help with that, but I'm, I'm in charge of, of all of that. So like that still falls into my lap. Yeah. Have you, have you found, I mean, I know you said some of the team is young. Are most of the team younger than you or older than you? Because um, I was going to say, like, I'm fucking, I've always been shit at delegating and like hiring people. I'm trying to get better, right? It's such but, an like, important I always skill. had a massive so element of like imposter syndrome. Like, almost felt bad telling people what to do. Oh, okay. yeah. Like, I'm now self aware enough to, to know that. Like, I need, I'm getting over that gradually. But, like, have you, have you found that? Because obviously you're fucking young, running, running a cool business. Um, I've, I used to be really bad at it. And it's something that I've been like, it's something that didn't come naturally to me. Like some skills in this business came naturally, came naturally to me, and that's yeah. just not one of them. I am um, now very, very organized with 
documentation, training material. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, so we use ClickUp. I'm like a huge. Yeah, I'm I use act- that. Yeah. I, you use ClickUp? I use it for myself, but no one else. Oh my God, I, I love like ClickUp. I'm, I'm like a verified ClickUp, like, ambassador now. Isn't like, that like a $7 billion company? I lit- yeah, they're huge. They're huge. But it's my mad. ClickUp profile. Not to flex on everyone. Literally has a blue yeah. check next to it. Like that's oh, really? that's how click up hard hard okay. I go. Um, but yeah, I mean, like we are like in everything, everything that needs to happen or is happening or like anything that you can imagine is doc is like a task in ClickUp or a, or a document in ClickUp Docs. Like it's very. We have to be organized. Do you do that for yourself and your team? Yeah, I have I have my entire personal life organized in ClickUp and the entire yeah. business organized in ClickUp. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't live without it. Podcast was on that, was it? What's that? Did you have to have this podcast on your ClickUp? Yeah, yeah. And then the dinner after, which you've had to cancel because you were too late. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, re- rescheduled, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, fucking hell. I'm not very organized, but I'm trying to get better. Like, Google Sheets is my thing. I, oh, I no, no, no. You got to graduate from that. Really? Yeah. What, oh, what to, do you, to what? So what do you, what do you, what do you put in Google Sheets exactly? So I have ClickUp for like shit that I need to do on like a basic level. Like I, I do like two week sprints, like key things that need to happen. But then even then I probably don't use it that well. Google Drive, I've always used. I've got like three terabyte of shit in there now. Well, for, organ- like for organizing like files and stuff. And like- it's, it's how I operate everything. Like I, I, I've always split everything into five categories. And this is ever since I was doing like dropshipping. And, and even before that, I have like product brand product slash brand so like that's one folder there's marketing there's logistics there's customer service then there's admin that's i don't know what it is maybe okay. it's like borderline autism but i no, just no, fucking no. i've always split my business and broadly speaking i think any startup econ business should be split that way yeah and then within that like obviously certain ones particularly the first two have more stuff in them but yeah for example like one sheet i was working on today is like a like a, a KPI tracking thing because mm-hmm. I'm in the past I was always kind of like Chad scaling that's like a term I've heard on Twitter like just fucking like scale whatever yeah just, just like increase the whereas budget whereas now it's like I have one skew I'm trying to be really analytical like we have a like it's ultimately e-commerce of, but like, any like, online couldn't thing you is use a, like triple well for that or something like what do you I have what, triple well as well yeah but what like but, what is a sheet doing that you can't accomplish with a tool well triple whale can't do like cash in bank like shit like that oh so okay like, okay i'm doing like kpis about every element of the business okay like marketing kpis granted yeah i'm just like duplicating shit that's in triple whale and triple whale is what i'll look at and by the way they're fucking sponsored the pod now yeah so that's very relevant um that's the first thing i look at in the morning now instead of a shopify dashboard yeah because yeah. and i think that's the same for a lot of people including the guys from purdy and fig that brand they're on they're on last night which is probably a week before this because that's the fucking like obviously blended rice like CAC LTV all this shit but yeah I, I'm trying to be more organised and I guess Google Sheets is well I mean something I use I, like, like I, I don't know well. I, I mean I guess like cash and bank that stuff I, I still tend to believe there is probably a tool out there that could do this for you how how hands on is is like keeping all this stuff organised like are you typing numbers in manually or is there like at least like a, like a Zapier like a month like I mean, okay. oh shit, like Zapier. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not good at that shit. Oh, it's so easy. It couldn't be easier. I use Zapier already because the agency I work with have this fancy like fucking iOS 14 get around tracking thing, which has Zapier. But I, I didn't okay. set it up. Okay, okay. I'm just not that like. I'm very chaotic. Like every fucking day, I'll be like, 
I have like a list of like the key things I need to work on. I've just always had that list like on a physical piece of paper. But then within like 10 minutes of having my fucking rainbow dust and getting to my desk at 8am, there's like 23 fucking tabs open. Yeah, on, yeah. Like literally. And I'm like, I, I try and work on like the more boring stuff first in a day. That's just genuinely how like my brain works. Like not boring, but like, I, I guess boring, like more mentally taxing. I don't really want to. Yeah. Like fucking dealing with a supplier, like, you know, shit like that. And then later on, I'll be like, ah, yes, we get to work on like the brand stuff now. This is fun. And I'll leave that to like the fucking evening. But yeah, where was I going with that? I mean, I guess I'm just not that organized, but I think there's kind of beauty in the chaos and it tends to work. At the end of the day, I get shit done. But how about you? Are you like super organized or do you um, prefer to like just fucking go with the flow? I'm like fake super organized. Like I'm, I'm I want to be super organized. So like, I would say a lot of the time, a lot of my time spent now, I guess this could also go, be part of your other question is like, I spend so much time like organizing things and making sure that the team is following certain practices because like, mm. I obviously want to build a foundation that can scale. And I mean, to each their own. And I know everyone runs a business differently. I don't think chaos scales. That's like my fear with it. Like chaos works when it's like a one or two man, three yeah. man, four man show. I don't think chaos can be a, a 10, 20, definitely not like a hundred person company. I mean, like the big big companies definitely have like very, very set procedures, best practices, systems, automations. So obviously Social Snowball isn't huge yet. Like, I mean, obviously I, I will be growing it a lot more, um, but I want, I want to have a foundation in place that like can scale. And I think like, you know, when I used to make like simple hires back, you know, like assistants or VAs back, back in the e-com days, it was, I mean, unorganized is like, a compliment compared to like like what I was doing. I mean, I wouldn't yeah. have any SOPs, any sort mm. of like training material or like systems to follow or project management software. Like I didn't even know what that was. Like, so now that I have like project management software and I have systems and, you know, things are documented well, it, it's just like things are just a lot smoother. Um, and I also used to, like specifically in the hiring and like training, I used to assume that people would think the way I did. And yeah. I realized that they don't. And so, I realized they can though, if I write down what I want them to think and then I would write it down and then like people would, like my employees would perform to a level I wanted. I was like, oh, okay. I just have to be very, very, very detailed with mm -hmm. what I want them to do. Not in like a, you know, a rude or obnoxious way. I just would make very clear documentation and then results would happen, you know, cause you can never clone yourself, but you could at least like clone, you could at least write down your thought process on like yeah. how you should do something and why you're doing it and, and that kind of thing. So. To, you know that was a very long answer to your question, but no, I'm good. working very hard towards becoming more organized, but I'm not there yet. So do you, do you use anything in particular other than ClickUp? I'm asking for me because I, well, I've always wondered this. Actually, do you know what I wonder often? Is as I'll fucking get an Amazon delivery, which is probably like literally three times a week, mm -hmm. and I'm just every time I get it, I think, and this is probably just because I'm fucking entrepreneurial. I, I, I always just like think about the inner workings of the business that I just bought from. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, how are they managing the stock for like, cause I've also just signed up from Amazon seller account cause I'm looking at potentially putting this on Amazon, but. Which I'm you like, absolutely should. And Walmart. Yeah. Well, then about Walmart. I feel like brand values. Okay, yeah, there, but fair enough, fair enough. Like, the main thing I think is like, or the, the one thing I thought in this scenario was like, not about, oh, I just got the package. It was like, how many moving parts are going on Quite to a make few. sure that that was like one click and it's always one click and it's always on time. 
And I just think, fucking hell, like, you know, obviously organizations of that scale with, I don't know, a million plus employees probably. Oh yeah. Like there's, le- there's levels to this shit. Like I'm trying to be organized. It's kind of mad. Like you actually think about the scale of like systems that have to work for any like massive business. Yeah, any business, it's crazy. But particularly like those Goliaths, like yeah, yeah. Amazon or Apple. Oh God, yeah. It's too much to wrap your head around. And I'm just like, fuck. I thought I was doing all right, just trying to build this shit. Yeah, it's a different level. It's like many levels above what what either of us have ever done. Yeah, it's crazy. What the fuck is this? Spacegoods, spacegoods.com, Rainbow Dust version one, my newest entrepreneurial econ brand venture. I spent six months in the trenches building this shit from scratch. We launched six weeks ago. What's it all about? The next generation wellness brand with a long-term vision to essentially consumerize the pending psychedelic consumer goods market, which might sound absolutely ridiculous. We're not quite there yet. The market's massively illegal. But what is this? Rainbow Dust version one is an all-in-one mushroom and adaptogenic blend designed to unlock your supernatural self. Essentially, experience a sharper focus, sustained energy, zen like calm throughout the day. It's an all-in-one powder. Tastes like fucking hot chocolate. Tastes delicious. Works great. Looks great. Feels amazing. Essentially, the broader concept here was to legally imitate a psychedelic microdose and like I said, experience those symptoms. You can mix it with anything, brownies, bake brownies with it, mix it with your coffee, have it without coffee, replace your coffee, put it into a protein shake. It's super fucking versatile. It tastes great. It replaced the stack of supplements I was previously taking, but you need to try this shit. It would definitely change the way you work, get you into that deep workflow. I obviously think that myself, plenty of our thousand plus first customers think the exact same shit. It's not just a pretty packaging, it actually works really fucking well. Keto, vegan, all that good shit. Trust me, you need to try it for yourself. Let's scale the shit to the moon. Spacegoods.com. Get on your Rainbow Dust subscription and see how you fucking feel. Let's do it for the boys. Spacegoods.com. Do you think, this is a question I normally ask later, but it's relevant. Like, do you have a specific goal for where you want to go with the business? Because like, I've met people that are always like, I want to build the biggest thing possible. And that's kind of like my mindset, but maybe it's wrong. But then there's other people I've met and they're like very, they're like very successful, but they very intentionally are like, fuck building a billion pound business, you know, hypothetically, because they just know they would never want to do that because the stress scale yeah. people, like, do you have a specific goal? For social snowball and if you do did you have that before it even launched i would say yes to both of those um but it's not a number honestly my goal with social snowball is just to be i want i want this to be a unanimous consensus amongst the e-commerce community what i want the answer to this question to be social snowball 10 out of 10 times what is the affiliate marketing platform for e-commerce if you walk to 10 random e-commerce people who have never met each other and they all say social snowball. That's my goal right now. Realistically, you know, maybe I'm even being a bit generous. Maybe like three would say that or something. Mm. Um, and I mean, you know, maybe more or less, I don't know, but I I want that to be, I want us to be the affiliate marketing platform for e-commerce. I want us to, to be, I want that to be unanimous. I want us to be when someone's building a new store or whether they're migrating from another platform to Shopify. I mean, you know, we are going to be expanding to other platforms later, but at least with the product we have now, yeah. I want it to be like, this is what you do when you're ready to build, or at least like a customer referral program, like a, like a owned audience affiliate program. Maybe not like if you're working with like publishers and, you know, review sites, but if you're like trying to convert your customers and owned audience into 
a customer acquisition channel into a marketing channel. I don't want it to be like, which tool should I use? I want it to be like, social snowball is the best tool, period. So we're going to use it. And is does that not then mean that you'd be a massive business and make a fuckload of money? Or is that, well, just, yeah. <laughs> is that just like a side effect that you're not focused on, but you know what happened? Well, I mean, obviously I like, I, I want my business to make money and money over just the lifestyle it could bring you is like a measurement of success in providing value as well. But yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not like, you know, obviously I want to make money, like, of course. Um, but I think like, I don't have like a money goal. Yeah. I don't want to like, cause I could, t- I could pretend I do and be like, Oh, like a hundred million. I don't know. Like I don't really have yeah. like, a, everyone I, says a hundred million, right? Yeah. Yeah. So like a hundred million sounds great. I don't not want a hundred million, but what I want is for it to be just like, so hands down unanimous, like, Social Snowball is the affiliate platform for e-commerce. Yeah, I, I definitely see that. Do you do you consider it a lifestyle business at this stage at all? Or and I guess like that's a tough question. Do you do you care about like balance between like life and because I know like some people are really big on this and. I, I think it's genuinely slightly older people in my experience because maybe they've like been in the trenches for ages and like, I don't know, fucking they're like woke now and realize that life's not all about building businesses. But <laughs> but then you get people that are like, I just fucking love, love the game and like all they want to do is be in the trenches and I'm probably somewhere in between depending on what day of the week you ask me. Like, how do you see it? Like, it's a, are you all in on, I just want to fucking make that happen at the expense of everything else or... Like I know, for example, you just moved to London with your girlfriend. Like, how how much does that play into like the way you view the business? That that's a really it's really interesting. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I know, know exactly what you're asking. It. I know exactly what you're asking, and it's really interesting because today I I tweeted, um, I tweeted in the United, and this is actually something my girlfriend's pointed out to me, and it's so spot on. In the United States, people live to work. In Europe, people work to live. And as That's far as as far yeah. as the mindset, like as far as my stance on it, I'm still a bit undecided. I mean, so like, it, that's such a, and here's such a, a thought provoking way to put it. It's so yeah. true. It's so true. So like, here's a great like, great example. Like, so I'm like huge WeWork guy. I live at WeWork. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm I basically I'd sleep at WeWork. I I am always at WeWork. I get so much done when I'm there. There's no distractions. I'm just locked in. I have my cup of coffee. I'm just like grind. But anyway, I obviously would always go to WeWork when I was living in the US, like all, all, many, many cities I've been to WeWorks. Um, and since I've been in London for the past, like what has it been like three weeks now, I've been going to WeWorks almost every day. Mm. Um, and there's so many WeWorks here, it's awesome. But Do you have like a globe membership? Is that how it works? Yeah, it's like all access membership, yeah. yeah. Um, but basically what's what I've realized is like in the US, you know, if I was gonna be working, let's say to like 8 p.m. one night, and you know, I'm locked into my laptop and I look up and you know, I'm in the co-working area, I see like a bunch of people sitting around, sitting there grinding, like whatever. In London, I'll be working and I'm working extra late in London because I still have calls in US time. So I'm working like yeah. the double shift here, like literally till 10, sometimes even 11. It's like a little bit too much, honestly, but I'll be working let's not even that extreme. Like I'll, it'll be like 8 p.m. in the common space and I'll look up completely empty, completely mm. empty. There's not one person, really not even one. Like I'm literally the only person in WeWork after like 7 p.m. At five and six, most That's people leave. Seven, like everyone I leaves. I thought London had, was all, yeah. 
I always thought London was quite like a, a like work, like always work, hustle culture. It's but not. Look at the. I, I definitely the... see like France, Spain, Italy being very different, having been there. Well, but even look it's at interesting like. Interesting to say that, yeah. Because m- maybe I'm so like dialed in. I think London yeah. is. I don't know. Yeah, just just. I guess it depends which bubble you're in or who you, who you look at. Yeah, I mean, well, look at like all the pubs. At 5 p.m. There's a pub down there, which you can see from our flat right. on the balcony. And at 4 p.m. that was loaded today. You can't even walk on the sidewalk next to it. A hundred, And it's just full of people. And there's nothing wrong with this. I'm not looking down upon this at all. But it's everyone with their jobs like in their offices. 5 p.m. They're at the pub with their backpack still on with a beer standing on the sidewalk. Or in the, you can't even fit in the pub because it's so crowded. Yeah. It's just a different culture. So I don't know. Like So here, like to kind of circle back to your question, at least, like I've... I've been and I've been to Europe many times before today, so I've like I've been exposed to both sides. Probably more the living to work side because I've been in America more, but I've been yeah. exposed to both a lot. As far as like where I am right now, I think I'm definitely more in the live to work mindset right now, just mm-hmm. because like I do. I'm all for enjoying life. I definitely don't neglect it. Maybe I do a bit, but I, there's just a lot that I need to do right now. I think like this is such an interesting topic. You just opened up a can of worms with that with that point you made. Because I completely agree with you. I'm probably on, on, on the same side as you. But like, so many points I want to make on this. Because I think the first point is, do you think that's UK versus US? Or is that just actually the reality of like entrepreneur versus non-entrepreneur? Yeah, it's that too. It's I feel like, yeah, it's probably, in my opinion, it's more that. I mean, maybe, Amer- I mean, I don't know the American work culture as much, but... I've had so many people over the years, like, I don't know, fucking Instagram, people I used to go to uni with, used to work with, whatever, say like, you're young, just enjoy life. And then I'm like, and I've said this to Jack and like multiple other mates, and like, I do work a lot and people would say I work a lot, but then I also reckon I party and travel and enjoy life more than literally anyone I know that isn't an entrepreneur. And then it's like, wait a minute, like I'm confused on what your argument is. And like, and again, without sounding patronizing or whatever, like these are people like X person who, I don't know, maybe goes to the pub three times a week, has not left the fucking United Kingdom in five years, telling me that I work too much because there's like seasons to it. I'll be in the trenches for whatever, a few months. And and by the way, I like what I do anyway. So it doesn't feel yeah, like it's work, fun. which it's I want fun. to come on to. Very much. But yeah. then like, I've got the freedom to fucking go away whenever I want because I'm not tired by location or time there's not massive money restraints obviously within reason I'm not fucking flying private to Mykonos yet (laughs) but like I've always had that element of freedom and and that's the greatest element of entrepreneurship I think Um, like ever since I was like 21 like fortunately and yeah I've always found it strange when people people like you work too much whatever it's like what I also enjoy life probably more than you ever have or could at least, you know, depending on what people enjoy. But then at the same time, like I would genuinely rather, like not every night of the week, like I try and take like Saturday night off, Sunday off. I'd rather fucking, and I, I don't know if you agree, but like, I would rather work on my shit because, because coming back to your point before, you're working on something meaningful. Like I would actually rather try and build this thing than like, I don't know, fucking go to the pub on a Wednesday. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But it's just being self-aware and being like, what actually makes you tick? Right. Granted, a lot of entrepreneurship is fucking trenches and it's not always fun. 
but if it's like if the foundation is actually something that you believe in like beyond just making money which again you've said many times it's so fucking important then it, do, it doesn't feel like a grind anyway granted a lot of it is but like ultimately you're doing it because that's like fulfilling yeah like it's, it's not like hard things are fulfilling if, if there's like meaning behind them I agree I agree I mean I in my opinion I, I totally agree with every everything you said I also feel like you know I don't mean this exactly but like I kind of like a bit of my mindset is like I'll enjoy life later like a little bit like a piece yeah, of it because I'm just like I agree with that as well I'm like young and like it's a very fine line like it's not that I don't want to enjoy life when I'm young again I do a lot like similar to how you like I could you know travel like I have location freedom like that that whole thing which which I definitely take advantage of I've been to probably more than 10 countries in the past three months like very much taking advantage of it yeah. um but at the same time like the time is now like I have golden opportunities I mean really one right now golden opportunity at my fingertips it's it's the it is it kind of is the one who works the hardest that wins and like I'm in a very competitive space a very hot competitive space there's a ton of venture money around me there's a ton of competitors Mm -hmm. I have to you know I have to grind and it's not like it's not like I don't want to like I like you said like when it's something that you're passionate about and it's meaningful to you it's exciting and it's fun but it's also like the time is now like the opportunity I have and what I've built so far it's it's now that that I've gotten to this point like I don't want to I don't want to blow it and like I it's it feels like my responsibility to like go as hard as I possibly can at it and it's like I don't it I don't I just don't like at the end of the day I am doing what I want like I want to build this this mm-hmm. is what I want to do like I have freedom and I'm taking and I'm making the choice to want to work on this like maybe more than other people would want to work on something else so yeah, I mean, there's, there's there's a few different ways to look at it. I think, like, you know, living to work, it can be toxic if you're not liking what you're doing. If you're working for someone else and you feel I like think, you need yeah, to work over time to, like, key, please them or the something, then it's like, yeah. okay, then, like, that's going to make you miserable. But if you're building something that you genuinely are passionate about yeah. and you're, and you know, work and life kind of blend at that point, it's, exactly, like, it's exactly. all the same thing. I think it's a completely different comparison and, like, conversation when it's, yeah, like, like you're saying, someone that potentially hates their job and just has to do it, you know, to fucking pay rent, whatever. Compared to you've chosen to embark on a, as Elon Musk would say, chewing glass and staring into the abyss. Like the the pursuit of entrepreneurship, that's like a famous quote or something, because that's how fucking hard it is. But yeah, it's interesting what you say, because I also agree, but I feel like up to this point in like my, my early 20s and shit, and the same with a lot of my very successful mates who I've lived with and currently live with and other mates etc I feel like I've got the balance very it's a very fine line but I think I've got the balance right and, and there's an element of seasons to it like, like there's seasons where you know I had a fucking shit year last year I, and I was still travelling and stuff but like I was in a less good place because shit didn't go as well and like stuff's going better now a lot better but at the same time there's like times where particularly in winter I was like just fucking grinding to get this new thing off the ground and now I'm like back in the I've been back in the trenches a lot but I but I enjoy the trenches but then obviously like there's certain times of year where I'll fucking travel like I was in Brazil for two weeks like two months ago I was in Ibiza last month I'm going Marbella in like two weeks with a bunch of guys but that's like a hustle house so that's like a lifestyle thing so it's gonna be working but it's like getting yeah. that balance right so yeah. I wanted some sun a bunch of other shit then we're going Bali in like July or August nice 
because I fucking love barley. But oh, yeah. So there is a fine line, but it's about, I think it's just about like optimizing your fucking life to work for you. And like the benefit for me, and even like with this podcast, right? So I fucking love drinking red wine on this podcast and speaking to people, but now I actually get paid for it. And, and I meet people that can potentially like well definitely expand expand my mind and my network yeah so it's, that's like a fucking win-win but it took me seven months of fucking doing these episodes until we got a fucking sponsor yeah yeah so that's the shit that most people aren't wanting to do so that's just like one example and obviously it applies to like e-com and fucking building your own thing as well but I, I think life can get like more interesting and enjoyable when you get to the point where you can like design it to fit what you're passionate about and makes money because ultimately everyone needs to make money and it's like something you can do potentially long term because I, I had a taste of that with like the whole drop shipping shit as, as I'm sure I'm sure you did like making money traveling etc but then it wasn't very sustainable and then like building brands is way harder but I also made that work to an extent but then also didn't make that one work because that one fucked so yeah like it's 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 hard but I think I think everything is hard in life Right, I'm going on a rant here, but like, <laughs> life is hard. Being like broke and hating your job and enjoying your weekends potentially, because that's what a lot of people do, is hard in one way. Grinding your ass off, particularly in like your twenties, and figuring out what you're good at and passionate about, and going through, in my opinion, much higher highs and lower lows than the average job. And people will disagree with that and hate on me, but it's just a fact. Entrepreneurship is higher and lower than the average life. That is also hard, but it's potentially like much more financially rewarding long term. Like you can you have a lot more freedom potentially like when you make it work. So yeah, I'm just like very aware of like the realities of different options in life. If someone chooses to party like their entire twenties, they're probably gonna have a pretty difficult thirties. But 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 by the same regard, if someone fucking like never leaves their computer in their entire 20s, they get to 30, maybe they made a lot of money, but they don't have any friends, they have no memories. So like, I think get there's a, there's an art to getting the balance right. It's what, what I'm saying. Agreed. And I think I've got that balance pretty spot on, at least in my opinion, for me. That's fine, it's different for everybody. So if you're feeling like you're enjoying life and you're feeling extremely productive and happy with the progress they're making, then like it's it's a it's a feeling like it's it's a you thing it's like what works for you might not work for me might not work for you know your roommate like it's different for everybody yeah yeah exactly um what was the original question i, I suppose you, you i think you kind of answered it i think you asked like yeah like as like, far, like it was like work, work life balance like what is your stance on it like roughly yeah because i i definitely do agree though like in my head it was always even since i was like 18 years old i always kind of said to myself like be like retired by 30 like I guess what I meant by retired was like fucking financially retired yeah obviously I'm not gonna fucking sit on a beach for the next 50 years but yeah 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 it sounds like you probably think similarly in, in the sense that you have an opportunity to capitalize on something that you're also passionate about but could pay you very handsomely you know should you fucking get acquired whatever so like on that if someone came to you today and wanted to buy the business like you said there's no number but like have you thought about that because obviously particularly being with SaaS there's a lot less it's not like there's fucking dropshippers doing the same thing and it's 10 a penny granted it's competitive but 
I don't know. I, I think there's more like valuable IP in what you're doing than certainly most e-com stores and probably a lot of e-com brands. So your question is, would I sell? I, I don't know what the question is. I guess you said it's not about the money, but I mean, like, it's not. It's not about, not about the money either. Yeah, but I mean, exactly. there's just a lot. There's just way more to it than that. Um, I mean, is your question would I sell? I mean, for the yeah, right I suppose, price, I, I guess is, theoretically, yeah. like, like it's not just a passion play where like you just fucking enjoy the process. I mean, I do enjoy it. I think like if I were to sell, which is obviously like you know a goal at some point. Um, it would probably have to be for more than just price. And I mean, I say that, but like if I were looking at like an LOI that said like 10 million on it right now, like obviously like that's going to be considered, like let's be realistic. But like I, I talk, this is, it's interesting you bring this up because I talked to my friend who's actually going through an acquisition right now, um, a, a seven figure acquisition. He's younger than both of us. So like definitely like I wanted to pick his brain on like what his thoughts on all this stuff were. Mm. And he said like, the main reason he wants to sell is not because the business, you know, isn't producing cash or like, or isn't like, it, it, it's because it was because he was genuinely not excited to work on it anymore. He was bored. He figured out automating pretty much all of it and hiring and delegating so that he like didn't really have to do anything in the work that he had, he did have to do. He didn't really like, he wasn't very passionate about what the product he was selling was. He just wasn't loving his day to day. He was bored yeah. and not motivated. And obviously you know the money is a factor but i think like that was it one of the biggest if not the biggest factor for him making the decision the decision that it's time to sell so for me it's like i don't feel that way about what i'm building i'm like genuinely excited and i i literally i mean every night i fall asleep and i'm like thinking of new ideas and i wake up in the morning excited to like execute on them and and you know talk mm. to the team and make a little bit of progress today like it genuinely it genuinely excites me so if I were to sell, I feel like I'd probably have to be at a place where I didn't feel that way anymore. And maybe I was like, yeah. maybe I felt like this is as far as I want to take the business or like, I don't, I don't know. I would, it would have to, you know, for whatever reason, I can't really even think of what it would be, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would have to not be as excited I am about it as I am now. And it would have to be for the right price, of course. Yeah. Interesting. I actually have a story on like that sort of topic that I don't think I've told on the podcast, which just came to mind. Because I'm going to tell it, then explain why I'm telling it. Because I could try and keep it short. In 2020, as most people know that regularly watch this, so I had my jewelry business, Midnight City, which was doing like two and a half million pound run rate, like profitable. And then I also had Neon Beach. But in the midst of Neon Beach growing crazily, I was like, fuck, I need to sell this jewelry business because I was never passionate about it. And I was like, fuck, I don't give a fuck about it let's try and sell it. So I went down this whole process with like multiple brokers and, and, and I, I had a, an LOI letter of intent for, it was, it was a low seven figure amount, which by the way, I couldn't fucking believe because the business was only, only 18 years, 18 years, 18 months old at the time. Yeah. That's and I was, not like, bad. That's and not I was bad. 24 at the time. And I was like, I was fucking on all stage yeah. really looking at like Lamborghini trucks and shit. I got well ahead of myself. But then I remember I actually rejected it because I got really cocky and arrogant because like both the brands are scaling. It was peak COVID. I thought I could sell it for more or this. Anyway, fast forward like three, four months and I'm like waiting to like get a better price, whatever. This is when the neon brand starts going terribly. So like all my focus went onto that. My jewelry brand started to like tail off and scale and then no one would fucking pay any more for it. And I ended up getting an offer for like way less which was like less than half the original amount. And I'm like, for fuck's sake. And then because of the way I structured the businesses, 
when when Neon got bought out, as I was explaining briefly before, it basically meant that I couldn't sell the jewelry business because of the amount of time between that deal happening and when I could have sold it as a brand asset. It was anyway. The point is, firstly, I wasn't passionate about it, but secondly, just on that point, if anyone has like a fucking brand that they're not passionate about or a dropshipping store, which it's probably harder to sell, but don't make, this is like fucking gold advice, by the way. Very expensive mistake on my behalf. Don't get arrogant and think, I can get more, I can get more. If you're not passionate about it and someone offers you a solid amount of money, just fucking do the deal. Go through the painful due diligence, which I did, and then turn it down and just do the deal. Because I, I wish I'd done that. It's like That's like one professional regret. I mean, whatever, it's like meant to happen, taught me a load of shit, but I could have sold that for that amount put it in Ethereum and had like 20 mil, 20 mil right now, which I don't have. So that's like a painful mistake I made that I haven't really mentioned on the pod that was like contextual to your point. And yeah, there you I'd go. Say, I'd say the key, like with that advice, like the key factor to for that to be true is like you have to not be passionate about it. Yeah, and I just wasn't. Because if you are like, and you're, maybe feeling a little arrogant it might not be arrogance it might be like your ambition speaking like conviction yeah yeah. it might be your confidence in that what you're building is actually going to be so much bigger so there's a fine line between like like uh, ignorant arrogance and like ambitious conviction yeah i agree i agree i think you you know in your gut if like you do if, if something is like either like a has like actually massive potential and b is like the one for you yeah like the yeah. business that you should work on and that's a very intuitive thing like everyone's different but I, I never felt that way with that business i do with my new thing and and yeah hopefully it will end up being like the perfect fucking love story where it's like in fact in 10 years time i can write about the fucking business that i didn't sell but actually we just sold this for a billion dollars cash i'm sat on a fucking 200 foot Sunseeker custom <laughs> There's five women around me and no, I'm joking. Um, maybe I'm not joking, but you get the idea. Like, And it's just like looking back, that was a great thing to happen because it taught me a lot. But yeah, I definitely feel this next one is is the one. This is the one. This is yeah. the one. I mean, I, I have said that before. I said that about my neon business, but looking back, there's a lot of boxes that this business ticks, which is kind of similar to, to your business in a way. I mean, it's very different, but subscription is the fucking way forward. I'm pretty convinced especially in like people talking about there's a recession coming all this stuff if people use your product whether it's physical or software and they enjoy it that's the perfect customer well yeah like, i mean if they, if they stay the, the way to survive in e-commerce is well there's really two things really one is retention so obviously like having as loyal customers as possible really high lifetime value which subscriptions you know basically it solves that problem if you have yeah. someone paying you monthly for the for a product like it solves that but another huge part is like you still have to be able to affordably acquire customers so you could be like your retention could be amazing but you still need to be affordably acquiring customers which is like kind of like the problem that social snowball aims to solve is like paid paid acquisition is incredibly expensive like yeah, so much more expensive, expensive than than it was even like a few years ago. So even six months ago. Oh yeah, it's 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 always changing. So like with social snowball, it's like, and obviously there's a lot of other tools that were built to like tackle this problem. But us being one of them, like 
turning your customers into a new marketing channel, a new customer acquisition channel is like one of the ways that you can now profitably acquire customers because you're going to set whatever incentives you get to choose what incentives is you're paying your for main, a new customer. Is that your main offering? Is it because obviously I, I've started using it myself. Is that the main like pitch is turning customers into affiliates rather than just like absolutely influences. Can you do those as well? Absolutely. You could do both. You could do both. But yeah. the, the, like kind of, you know, what Social Snowball gained a lot of momentum for when we first launched, because this is like our whole marketing angle. And it was like our, you know, our flagship feature or whatever is like turn yeah. your customers into affiliates. And really what that developed into is like turn your audience into your most efficient marketing channel. Yeah. So like brands need ways to acquire new customers without letting their CAC be controlled by some algorithm that doesn't even have the same incentive as you as a brand owner. Like that's just mm. not scalable anymore. Maybe it used to be, yeah. but it's just not anymore. So, you know, with, with specifically, I mean, there's a lot of different approaches to this problem, but you know, obviously I could speak from the experience with social snowball, like with an affiliate program, you get to choose the customer acquisition cost that you're going to pay. So, mm. you know, you set like an incentive to pay an affiliate, you set an incentive to pay a new customer that's being referred from an affiliate. If, you're not making sales with those numbers, you're not gonna be losing money, you're just not gonna be acquiring new, uh, yeah. new customers. And then you could increase them and then see if like those higher incentives um, you know, move the needle to get people to successfully refer. So it just kind of lets you control your CAC and also acquire customers from a source that's not a paid acquisition channel, which is like obviously also very important for brands. Yeah, very true. How many affiliates does the biggest onboarded brand have? Um, like roughly speaking. Like, that's I, a good I, question I guess as well like how big is the biggest brand without telling me who the brand is unless you can um i mean we we, we have some big brands i mean you could look on our website we have like some some logos of some big brands but yeah. i mean I, I we have one brand that signed up with us like right when we launched that still like has always done pretty high volume they have like a few hundred thousand affiliates like Fuck, yeah. I, yeah like something something like that um I mean, but since then we've had much, much, much bigger brands sign up, but they've only been on for like a month. So they might only have like a couple thousand affiliates because they're like mm. new, but yeah, we have one brand that like installed like the week we launched and it's still a, a customer. Are, and they, are they still paying you 1% of revenue generated? So I, I'm not, I'm not sure which plan they're on. Cause all of our tiers changed also since we launched. So yeah. now we have our three tiers now are 19 a month plus 10% of affiliate revenue. 59 a month plus 3% of affiliate revenue and then 499 flat with no commission fees ever. So I don't know if they've upgraded since we've iterated pricing or if they're still on one of the OG tiers. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, they definitely pay as well regardless of which plan they're on. What's the average like fee per month then across everything? Um, it's a pretty mad model to be fair. I think including free users, because we had a free plan for a while, for like six months we had a free plan, we yeah. have like still a lot of users. I think including them, the average um, customer value is right around $20, like I think a bit over $20 actually, yeah. um, including free users. If we were to exclude that cohort, which is probably what we should do when we're calculating that number, I don't know it off the top of my head. I'm assuming maybe like, you know, between 30 and 50 a month per, per user. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, recurring is the one. I don't know why I never got into it before. Because I look at business like Athletic Greens, which is like relevant to me, but I just think, fuck, they have like one product. It's just so beautifully simple. It is. So beautifully simple. All right, changing topic briefly, um, because I, f I feel like I always come onto this shit and it's quite relevant because you, you mentioned it. Do you think 
I mean, obviously for you, do you think having a girlfriend, like, do you think that changes how you approach, like, building the business? And mm. I guess, like, I've had probably negative experiences with it. I know plenty of people have had great experiences. But, like, the general conversation, I guess, on this pod and, like, people I spoke to has been, like, you know, I think that there's maybe a misconception that when you're in the fucking trenches, you need to focus, like, you know, like have a social life later or whatever. Uh, but like, how has that been for you? Because uh, how how recent was that? Oh, uh, I mean, I've been dating her for a year, oh, like about exactly a year. So she's been, I mean, even, you know, before we were dating, like I was like, t- t- like we were like talking to each other. So yeah. she's been there since the beginning of Social Snowball. So she's like seen the entire growth, which is really yeah, cool. Yeah. But I mean, like it's definitely, I mean, I, I know some relationships aren't like this, but it's definitely been like really helpful because like obviously for me at least, and I, I, I assume this would apply to everyone, building a business is stressful. Like it's, it's hard. And sometimes I let emotions control me a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. you know, if I'm something, I'm dealing with some employee or like, you know, I have to fire someone. So there's a lot of things that just happen that are, or like, you know, really stressful things like Shopify, um, like, you know, threatening to delist us from the app store if we don't like change this feature, like things that are scary. Sometimes I like let emotions get to me and I like, maybe I'm about to make a bad decision to the business. And she's very, she's very like helpful with like guiding me and making sure I'm like thinking clearly before I make any decisions. Um, I mean, and she's also just extremely supportive. So like, I, I, I'm assuming like with your experience with having a relationship while you're working, um, and I know we chatted about this before the episode was being filmed, but like she, your girlfriend wasn't very supportive, which obviously, you know, isn't going to be helpful. Um, but I mean, in my case, like she really is. So, and she's also like just by chance working in a very similar field. Like she works at a marketing agency doing digital ads. So like she, she she, she fully understands it. Like she could pitch it. Like she could, like she could work for social snowball and probably most of the, because I tell her, like I tell her everything, like she knows everything. She could definitely work in social snowball, like in most of the roles. I mean, maybe not like product specific stuff, but like anything like sales or customer facing, like she, she knows it well, like she fully understands it. So that's also like really nice to be able to talk to someone, you know, like a partner that like it's, it would be different if she like didn't understand the space, but since she since she does understand it really well, like I could like tell her like specific details of like, like numbers and stuff. And like, she like know she like fully knows what's going on, like fully, fully has yeah. a good understanding. So it's definitely, it's definitely been only helpful in, in my scenario. Yeah, definitely. And you just moved in together on a Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. just did. Yeah. Here in yeah, London. Yeah. She just move. got it. She just got a job here. Yeah. So d- did you move when she got a job here or were you, were you going to move anyway? No, it was when she got a job here. We were just traveling before, like, because, well, she was staying with me in L.A., but just, like, kind of visiting me. Um, Definitely a better place in L.A. Oh, yeah, yeah. In my opinion. L.A.'s okay. Everyone's going to talk shit in the comments. I I had fun friends in L.A. Um, I I used to live with the guy that moved to Hollywood, and he fucking loves it, but it's just not for me. Yeah, it's 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 not for me. It's not for me. It's not for me. I mean, Miami is, like, my favorite place in the U.S. for sure. Um... But yeah, I mean, she was just staying with me in LA. We were just traveling a ton. Like we tore up Europe. We've we've been traveling like a crazy amount. And then, um, you know, she graduated university and just got, well, now her second job actually at this uh, marketing agency in London, like an in-person like office job, actually in a WeWork, yeah, yeah. funny enough. Oh, um, so yeah, we're like, let's send it. 
Yeah, that's interesting. That, that's good. I mean, I, I feel like I would definitely, I'm definitely open to a fucking relationship if there's a girl that gets me. But yeah. I just think I'm a fucking weird cunt. I am too. I am too. Honestly, like I'm I also think it's like, like how did you meet? Because I always discuss this yeah. shit, and I'm not like fucking. There's plenty of girls on Instagram that I can speak to or whatever. I just yeah, yeah. can't be fucked. But I just think the whole dating game these days, like in general, let alone like if you're entrepreneurial and fucking have weird niche goals and shit, it's just like it's a strange world we live in. Like social media has fucked up a lot of yeah just like a lot of people's like dating fucking lives and shit it's made it so so easy but so fake and so easy but so like flippant and like largely just like fucking hookup culture and shit which is like yeah. fine I'm, yeah. not, I'm not opposed to that but mm-hmm. like, there's a time and a place and it depends what you're looking for but like yeah I, like, I always so what was your this, question? what was my question like I guess how did you meet exactly? oh, oh. I always have this fucking like one day I'll meet this perfect girl in a coffee shop or a library it'll happen it'll happen she'll be in some castle you just have to not be looking down. like that's no, the thing 100%. like when I met I'm definitely not looking by the way it's when just I like met my girlfriend like a romantic idea yeah no I get you I get you I mean well yeah so I was actually on vacation in Dubai um, she grew up she's not from from Dubai she's actually from the UK which is like why she's here working right now but she grew up in Dubai like her family um, grew up there like she went to middle school and everything there um, and I was just on vacation with some buddies and we were just like having parties at our Airbnb every night. And like we knew some people in Dubai like that we were meeting up yeah. with and they knew other people in Dubai that would like invite people over. So we were just having people over in our Airbnb. I mean, it was actually my very last night before I was flying home. Um, she came over and we just like hit it off super well that night. Like, we were just vibing the whole night. And then, you know, I obviously had to say goodbye and then flew home the next morning. But then we just stayed in touch for months. Um, talking a ton, like FaceTiming and everything and, and all that stuff. And then she, uh, I was living in Miami at the time and I was like, you got to come to Miami. You got to come to Miami. Like you'll, you'll have so much fun here. Like yeah. you got to come to Miami. Um, and then eventually she did. She flew to Miami and then we started dating from, from that trip. So that's the right way to do it. <laughs> well, I want to change tack before we, we wrap things up shortly. Um, we always have to touch on girls cause it always fucking comes up. Yeah. People love it. Next, over the next year then, what is your focus? I know you've, you've signed a lease for a year, right, in London. Yeah. So yeah. other than getting to know London and trying to fucking keep up with me on runs, what is your focus for Social Snowball? <laughs> like, is there a specific plan or is it still relatively early that you're just fucking sending it and seeing what happens? No, it's a little more organized than that. I'd say, you know, that there, there's, there's a few different ways that I might take it. I'm very much considering um, raising venture funding. I know that I kind of maybe didn't sell it great earlier in this conversation, the whole mm. treadmill. I know yeah. you love that. Um, but the truth is like the type of business we're in, it's like pretty standard to raise. And that's not why I would want to do it. But for the reasons that it is standard to raise, it does make sense to, um, you know, for us to progress the business, it's it's a bit of a slow process right now just because we have limited resources. So like we have all these features that we want to build so we could acquire these bigger brands and we know exactly what they want because we've you know, talked to them on demo calls and everything. But to get you know, that laundry list built with yeah. two full-time engineers and like one part-time, like takes time, it takes a lot of time. And at the same time, like I want to be marketing so we could be growing faster. But if I hire another engineer, like I'm about to, then I can't spend that money on marketing. So it's like, mm. it's a slow process. And at the same time, through all of it, 
I'm not truly able to focus on like the big picture vision as much as I'd want to because I still have to be in the weeds, picking up the tasks that fall between between the cracks, like just yeah. dealing with a lot of things that I rather would not. Thankfully, the team that I have now, they are rock stars. So like they really do pull more than their weight and they're like gems. But what I would love to do is be able to build a big team of rock stars and people that know a lot more than me and are a lot smarter than me and are very good at specific things. I want to, you know, there's a lot of hires that I really want to make. So I am very much considering that route, but it's not, you know, nothing, nothing is obviously set in stone. Um, the, the, you know, the beauty of the business right now is that like I kind of touched on earlier, like we're bootstrapped and we could just like coast and we're never going to like have to worry about burning capital and then raising at a down valuation because we didn't hit our MRR goal. And then like investors are, it's just like none none of that, like outside noise is affecting me right now, which is, which is a blessing honestly. But at the same time, like what I'm building is so great and I'm so passionate about it. And I believe in it so much that I want to make sure that no matter what it gets to the whole world. And I think venture funding could, could be the vehicle that gets me there. But Again, not necessarily. I mean, you could look at a lot of bootstrap success stories. Like Mailchimp is like a great example. Yeah, fucking up. So I mean, I I couldn't give you like a super concrete answer on on that, but yeah. I definitely am only going to be like head down grinding on social snowball this year. Like, there I'm not doing this game of like having a million side projects at the same time. Yeah, like, completely. That's definitely where to go. Yeah. All right. Final question, and it's become a cliche on this pod, but I ask it to everyone. <clears throat> If you could give three bits of advice to your younger self, I guess maybe 18-year-old self, Mm -hmm. what would they be on the spot? Okay, so one of them for sure is like, there's there's no right and wrong way to accomplish a certain thing. So I used to always look at like someone else who's successful and they they've accomplished something I want to accomplish and I am working towards a similar goal that they've already done and sometimes I used to get worried if I wasn't following their exact path because I'd be like this is how they accomplished it and I'm doing something different and then I realized that like there are many many ways to accomplish the same goals and you don't need to follow someone else's path or another you know, suggested path exactly. You could obviously you and you should learn from what the the way other people do things, but you could definitely carve your own path towards a goal. So like that's that was like super important for me. Geez, three three pieces. You're you're you're, you're hitting me with a lot. You gotta um, go instinct on this shit. Yeah, let's see, let's see. Um, I think I mean I kind of touched on this, but I really believe that you have to chase and make money to understand that it's not what you should be chasing. And I think if anyone's listening and they haven't like made that like first initial, and you'll know when you've made it, like if you've made that first initial like jump in cash where you like just like have a taste of freedom, like if you haven't made that yet and you're like trying to like pretend that you don't want it because you want to like be listening to what people that are maybe a little bit further in the journey are telling you and are like, oh, you shouldn't be chasing money. I, I really do believe like in order, if it's, if you're one, if you're a person that is very money driven, you, it's not, there's nothing wrong with chasing it. Assuming you're not doing any like shady business or screwing people over, but to chase money, to make it and then realize that it's not what you want is like a process that I do think you have to go through. And by pretending that you don't want to be chasing it and then like delaying it, you might, yeah, you might just be delaying it. Like that might be the result and you might still chase it at some point, make it and then realize that it's not what you wanted. So I, I think that like there's nothing wrong with having to go through that learning experience firsthand rather than just listening to it. Yeah, um, and if you're drop shipping, I could probably think of way better advice than this, but this is on the spot. No, this is probably very topical for viewers. <laughs> if you're drop shipping, like it's a stepping stone 
and you could you could really leverage it in your favor to build an unbelievable career and there's nothing wrong with you know if that career turns into working for someone as like some really cool position at some really cool startup or something like it doesn't you don't have to be like this entrepreneur like posting cool cars on instagram forever like uh, dropshipping is really cool because it one can give you access to capital that can be made relatively easily and you could use that to do a lot of really cool things and build a lot of really cool things and two at least for me like the connections that I was able to make from it are unbelievable like the the people that I know now the people that I respect and respect me truthfully like it's 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 crazy like it's it's crazy and like that wouldn't have happened if it Mm -hmm. wasn't for the whole dropshipping learning experience I went through and even though like that business itself didn't bring me what I you know the you know the golden nugget or whatever shiny object I was chasing chasing like it it is like a, a bit of a dead end it, it really can be you if you use it as a stepping stone strategically to pivot into something bigger and you use the capital that it's given you and the connections and there's probably even more things that I'm not thinking of that it can give you I guess like you know business knowledge and experience like you really can turn you can really build an unbelievable career for yourself but don't don't cling on to it too long maybe i clinged on to it a little bit too long i yeah, should have probably cut it a bit agree. earlier completely agree solid practical wise advice from a very wise 23 year old <laughs> that was an interesting episode um i learned a lot i think everyone listening watching probably fucking did as well as usual um yeah if you're watching the pod subscribe recommend it to a friend all that good shit go buy rainbow dust go sign up to fucking social snowball go sign up to triple whale all that good shit And we'll see you in the next episode. Cheers for watching. Peace. Peace.